good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, depending on when you're listening. Welcome to the Your Creativity Podcast. Terry Burton here with Darren Nazianne and Stephen Hatch. Fellows, how are you? You kind of said more pizzazz for Dylan. Just a little left out. Was it? Was yeah. it? And you were kind of like, I mean, I think if I was watching this with my eyes shut, I could be creeped out. It's Steve Hatch! Okay, that was pretty good. Oh my gosh. No? Oh, too much? I don't know. I'm too still gonna be creeped direction. out if I if I have my eyes shut listening to this. <laughs> <laughs> like, where is Terry? Is he gonna kill me? And he, where is he at? That's right. <laughs> Under the bed. Hey guys. Hey Terry. Hey Steve. How you guys been? Yeah, we're good. I'm just thinking where I would hide now. So Terry's under the bed. I'm probably in the hallway somewhere. Yeah. I'll be there, Steve. The call came from the house. <laughs> well, I'm excited. Me too. I saw this, uh, our guest, I saw this guest at the Utah Arts Festival, which they gave me a media pass to. Thank you, Arts Festival. And he had a booth there with this, um, how can I? You don't know how to explain it. Yeah, it's yeah. It's hard, hard to explain it. It's Computer key art, so computer key art murals. I make art out of computer keys, recycle computer keys. And you're you're Eric Jensen. Yes, I'm Eric Jensen. <laughs> Thanks for having me here. The keyboard god. The keyboard artist. I sure I'll be the keyboard god. <laughs> I like it. You're totally the keyboard god. Well, and once again, we've made it to his basement studios. People keep on letting us into their basements. I'm not sure why, but here we are. <laughs> Nobody lets me into the basement. We have to get permission. It's that scary voice. They don't even want you. Permission. Dylan's <laughs> always welcome, right. and then you and I have to get like waivers. <laughs> yeah. And your background you checks went through. You're, it's you're good. good. It's awesome. So I live on the top, and then this basement is a thousand square feet. So I have storage, and then there's studio, and then I have a garage where I do all my framing. So it's it's a great. I love working. So my commute. It's horrible because it's up the stairs and down the stairs. So, yeah. But, like Eric, you, you, get you don't get to deduct miles from your taxes. Oh, yeah. I can rent off all those walking steps, miles, right? Steps. <laughs> so, it's no, it's great to be able to be here. 63 cents a mile. What was that? 63 cents a mile. or what? Oh, okay. I, I don't know what it is. <laughs> the well, I do travel too much because I travel around the country to do art festivals. So I just got back from Seattle, and I'm going out to Palo Alto. So I do travel too much. And I just flew back from Boston, so I travel plenty enough. So it's nice to not have to travel more. I have a home <laughs> office, a home studio. Yeah, it's my home but studio. Computer keys. Why the hell did you choose that medium? Like, did you play with computers all growing up? No, I'm, well, it's just computer keys are just so fascinating, and they're so cool. And you obviously are agreeing with me because you're like, well, why is, you know? So it's, it's been so funny. So it actually happened by accident. It was a college assignment uh, back in art school uh, about five years ago. I was given an assignment that we had to take something that people don't want and make it into something they want. So I had an old keyboard. I thought, I really don't want this. I don't even know what to do with this. So I just kind of was like, maybe I'll make a little sculpture. So I hold it apart, made a little sculpture. And my professor, he w he traveled a lot for art. He was a well-known artist. And he said, that is so cool. I've never seen anything like it. I was like, really? 
So I started Googling it and I started realizing that nobody was making art out of keyboards. And so I was like, well, so I started asking people and everybody had keyboard that they didn't know what to do with. Everybody had the keyboard in their garage or in their basement that they just don't know how to get rid of it, right? You just feel so bad. You're so attached to that. You wrote love letters on it. You've done so much with it, but you don't know. You know, you wrote sure. hate emails. Usually I was crying. There's that connection with that keyboard. I don't know why, but you don't know what to do with it. And so it's kind of like, well, I don't want to throw it away because it still works, but dirty. I got a new one, you know, it's just, it's kind of an interesting. So I start. I had a whole, like a month. I had my whole living room full of keyboards. I was like, "Wow, this is it. I'm gonna do something with this." Out. So I just kind of grew that, and I started uh, doing black and white at first, and realizing that the white and beige and gray are really hard to find. And so I just kind of reached out to recycle companies. Now I have a bunch of partnerships all over the country. Seattle, Ohio to Phoenix, all over that save them for me. And then they get, when they get a big crate of 500, 200 to 500 keyboards, they uh, crate it out to me and I get them and clean them up. And so I get a lot now, but, and then I take all the beige ones and soak them in dyes. And that's how I get all those different colors. And the reason why I dye it is so I don't ruin the lettering because I wanted to keep the lettering on it. Yeah, that's what's so valuable, and I wanted to not ruin the history of the keys. And I have some keys from the 80s on in the artwork. Wow. And so it's really fun to be able to have that. And it's funny because I have people that be like, oh, that's this number keyboard, da 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 and they can tell me you which key. It. I know. So I'm like, oh. Are there design differences from, from the eras? Are there uh, different typefaces? That yes. Were used on, yes. on the keys. So they themselves. can recognize it and they also recognize the style of the keys. And each key has their personality. And yeah. different they all have personality. And like the Apples versus Dell versus PC versus all these different companies have different kinds and their layout is different. And so they recognize them. And I use a lot of like IBM's big IBM's people. They're very into the IBM old models. Really nice. Or does that so, just mean that IBM sucks and there's more recycled? Say that again. Does it just mean that IBM sucks and they're more available? <laughs> so I mean, I don't know. Well, I think if you if we if we looked at the industry, Steve, my guess is is that IBM probably sells a lot less computers than they used to, which means that yes. there are a lot they're of superannuated well, keyboards in, gathering dust. Yeah, it's back in the olden time, IBM for the high end keyboards, so they were right. be, they were Bouncy. two three hundred dollars a keyboard, and now you can just get an old IBM from the nineties, and they're like thousands of dollars if they work. There's, they're kind of like an antique thing. When I get those keyboards, they don't work. And so they're not really that much valuable. Maybe they're worth $10, $20. But I'd rather use them in my art and preserve their history kind of thing. And so I use them. And sometimes they're like, oh, you're using an IBM? I'm like, whatever. It's okay. Uh, Eric, gonna enjoy do, you, it what, do you have a favorite key? What is your, uh, your favorite key? That's a great question, uh, The exit key. If I hit it, then that means I can leave work. No, just kidding. No. <laughs> I don't like the delete button because if you hit it, then it deletes my art. So don't hit the delete so button. the delete button. <laughs> no, Do you I don't put the... him in there. Ah, <laughs> that's what I was ask. You don't use the delete button. No. Well, that's a bigger key. And it's not. So I try to keep it like a pixel. 
I'm really fascinated by the pixels and the pixelation. And pixels are just like the squares. And so I don't use the, the space bar and all those things. I'd rather focus on the pixel. So the delete button was kind of the bigger, longer one that doesn't fit in my style. So I don't really use it. But if you do find it, don't touch it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm going to be sitting there looking at all of your paintings and just like trying to figure out which one has where did yeah. my where did my million pixel art go? I don't know. I saw somebody walk up to it. And You're like delete button. I don't know who it was, but he was short. There's a little ah. short man just walking around. <laughs> when you were at the arts festival, I would see people go up and like want to touch it. Want to uh, touch of it. Of course. Is that something you encourage? No, I do. I just have a sample. Usually at the art festivals, um, I have a sample for people to touch. Um, just because my art is very expensive as a collector thing. I have collectors all over wow. there collecting it. And so I don't let people touch it just for that reason so that my collectors feel confident that they're buying it. They're clean. So they, it doesn't really ruin them. It just makes it a little tricky to clean them because they're, so, they're just like a keyboard. They get dirty over time if you keep touching them and the oils and all that stuff. So I just... And, but I can't stop everybody. Every art festival, I have at least yeah. a couple of hundred touch on the pokers. The pokers. But, <laughs> slap their face. No, just kidding. But I just, I just keep them clean. I have to clean them after so that they stay clean. So do you need me or Dylan to go with you or Terry? But get a taser. And oh, I will be there and tase any kid that tries to yeah, touch I'll it. I'll give you a, a t-shirt that says professional uh, taser. Be aware, I'm going to tease you if you t oh my uh, touch my art. Yeah. I want that job. There? Okay. You're We're hired. There. We're there. You just want, you just want the t-shirt. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> yeah, probably. Hey, Eric, if we can, let's talk a little bit about uh, the market for your art because it, it occurred to me before we sat down that, and I'm no pro about, about art markets, but I know that people who love art who have means become attached to artists for mm -hmm. whose work really connects to them talk about about the the journey that you've had of getting out going to festivals doing that side of it and and where it has gone mm -hmm. in terms of the first i'm sure that there were some some folks that you connected with early on in your career that said, Oh, I just, I get this. I get this. So I get it. Like you get yeah. it and I love it. And I want to have this art. And of course, over time, all great artists find widening, but also deepening markets. And I'm guessing that, that your art is valued at, uh, I don't know. Is it valued at a greater level than, than you ever thought? Or are oh, you going in the direction I'm of... I'm actually <laughs> really surprised that people will pay the price that I need to be able to make a living off of it. Yeah. And as an artist, you have to pay for so yeah. many things. You have to pay for your studio space. You have to pay for um, different things. And so you don't realize how expensive it is to run an art studio. Sure. And running an art business. Um, so I... I set my price and people were willing to pay it. And when the first person bought my first piece at the full price, I was floored. I was like, are you kidding me that people are willing to pay that price and the price that I, but I know it's worth. Now, I was really doubting myself at first, but now I know that the price is fair. 
for all the work that goes into it. Yeah, absolutely. And I spent years trying to figure out how to do this. I was just so inconfident. I didn't know what I was doing. Yeah. Right? So I was like, oh, I guess I can do this. I can make this as a living. And I was teaching high school art before. And so that was kind of before that. And then I quit that. And now I do this full time. And so it's been a wonderful journey. But anyway, so the market, your question of the market. Um, when I first started, I was just kind of doing shows, not like festivals. I was just kind of doing jury shows, like a little, uh, like the Salt Lake Community College has a little show sure. or little museums around here, local shows. And I did that. And that's how I sold the first one. And I thought, you know what? This, I can sell these. So I started and you know what, I'm going to do art festival. Let's try that. I don't know how this works. So I started building a big inventory and went into a lot of debt, which I don't know if that was a smart thing to do. <laughs> but I just like, you know what, I need a lot. So I did that and did the Salt Lake Art Festival. That was kind of my first one in 2018, right? 2018 was the first one. And realized how many people loved it. You won how- the People's Choice Award. Yeah, I won the People's Choice Award. Fantastic. And I realized, wow, there's that connection. And so I was like, you know what? This is something. It's valuable. And so I decided to do more shows that year. I did about uh, six shows that year, eight shows, which is not a lot. It's smaller for art festivals that travel all over and do tons of shows. I didn't do as many. This year, I'm only doing five. But in last January, so about six months ago... About six months, seven months ago, I started realizing a lot of my people are online, and so I, I started research. I had done a lot of things online before. I've done a lot of online marketing, so I kind of knew how to work with that. So I started reaching out to some content companies that make videos go viral, and I start partnering with them. Sure. And I went viral in February, and I went viral about uh, seven or eight times from February to about April, May. And in the course of those couple months, I got about about 40 million views with all the different videos. I have one video uh, that I did. It got about 25 million. So that's one. And then I did a bunch of, it's probably more now, but I just got millions of views. And I just got collectors all over. So I have artwork now in 11 countries. And so I ship all over to Norway, to Denmark, to Brazil. I just shipped one out to Vietnam about four weeks ago. So, and I've noticed my market has been collectors. And collectors, they're looking for something new. Collectors are trying to find artists that are new and they're trying to invest in them hoping that they can make a value right later on. So the collector a, helps make the value. Yes. So you he have to have the Thomas cl- crown. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm trying to get bigger collectors. Right? <laughs> um, I do that. So that's like 50% of my business. But then the other part of the business, which is something I wasn't really didn't know that would can be so big. is I do a lot of work for businesses. Businesses are uh, realizing or starting to pick up that, Art is very important yes. in the workforce. It allows that creativity, inspires their employees. And so they've been buying my artwork. And so I sell a lot to my business people. And the business have money so they can support the arts in that way. So it's been both. So I do a lot of business work and a lot of collectors and just people that love keyboards, right? That love that and that inspires them. 
Um, I just got back from Boston yesterday, or today, sorry, today. I'm, my days are all mixed up. I flew, and but today, and I'm working with a client out in Boston, and I'm doing a big one. It's massive. It's going to be made from 40,000 keys, which wow. is about 18 feet by 9 feet tall. It's huge. So I'm doing that one, so I'm going to start working on that one, and then we're going to fly out there to install it. It's so beautiful, beautiful artwork that we're going to be working on. Who gets to to pop all the keys off the keyboards for that? <laughs> I used to do that for a couple of years, and I realized that it was not helping me. So I was going a little crazy. So I hired on an assistant. So I have an assistant now that does that full time. So she pops keys for me, organizes them, cleans them, and goes scouts for them and everything. So I just pay her per keyboard kind of thing and just we had that kind of thing and so she, just last month she popped about a thousand keyboards and so it's, it's just wow. a side job that she does for me and she's wonderful so it's wonderful to be able to do that that person is my mother ah, <laughs> i love it i love it you know it. mothers are awesome but she just wanted something to do so i said well mom you want to pop keyboards for me she, i love to do that so she's a great employee I would not recommend you hire your mother unless you love her a lot and that she's awesome. <laughs> but she's been wonderful. It's something for her to do. And a huge job for her when you're doing commissions that are 18 by 9. Yeah, 40,000 keys. That's a lot. So of keys. Mom's going to have been, to pop a lot more keys. Uh -huh. Popping keys. Yeah, I, just, I got a crate from Phoenix yesterday that came out. And it had 500 beige keyboards that are going to be in this artwork. So she's popping them today and this week so that we can start the Boston project. Do you know, Fantastic. Dylan mentioned something earlier, and I had no clue. So initially, I just thought that you spray painted or that you colored the keys. Can you talk about how, how do you choose your colors or how do you get your colors made? Good question. So a lot of people are like, are they dyed? I mean, are they spray paint, paint? The reason why I dye them is a transparent dye so it doesn't ruin the lettering. If you spray paint them, it covers up the lettering and then you don't have that. That's the point of the key, right? Connection. So, yeah. So I started uh, experimenting. I, I did spray them at first, but I was like, well, that, that just ruins it. That's not the key anymore. So I was like, I wonder if there's a way to dye them transparent or something. So I started experimenting researching it and every, all the plastic people were saying that it, because the keyboard made from an ABS plastic which is a cheap quality plastic it's just a very it's not a very good quality it melts very it just it's not a good quality so it doesn't hold up very well and so they're like you can't really dye it it's just not a very good plastic it's not strong so I was like you know I'm gonna figure this out so I spent a couple thousand to ask my wife how much I spent. It's pretty bad. And <laughs> about a year, I know, it was terrible. About a year trying to figure out how to do this dyeing process. And I was sitting there dyeing with all these dyes from all over, trying to figure out how to do it. And I made a mistake one day after about a year doing it, trying to do it. And I made this mistake. And I was trying to get red, but I got yellow, which is, Totally weird for a dye, right? I have this red dye and I'm using all these weird things and it comes out yellow, which is totally bizarre. I'm like, how does that work? And so I just reversed that mistake over and over and then eventually got all the colors. And so now I have all the colors and I have different shades. So I have different um, color palettes. So I have like a light green, dark green. So I have greens and I'll add blacks or yellow to make it 
change it, those dyes. So I do that. But then also how long it stays in the dyes, how dark they get. So that factors. So it's the color, but then you have a lot of different shades or values within that. But also the keyboards, if they are older, they take the dye differently. Or if they're yellow, when they've been in the sun for too long, they're yellow versus white keys. So then that factors. So I, there's a lot of personality that happened. And I love that because I want the recycling element to come through. And you obviously see that in the artwork. You'll notice some keys are scratch or some of the letterings are partially missing or the dye went weird on that key so I love the personality and I wanted to keep that so I just kind of played with it and grew that dying process so people ask me how I do it. I don't tell people how to do it because that's my trade secret in my business but mistakes are important then yeah without that mistake I mean, you wouldn't have learned literally thousands of mistakes trying to figure that out and I ruined so many clothes <laughs> 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 yeah, I'm, oh, I'll just try this one thing splash oh dang it I just ruined the shirt these pants like, tie dye oh, I ruined so many clothes trying to figure out because I was thinking about it every day for about a year Try, I was not I was I don't know what I I, I was kind of going crazy on it I was like I'm going to figure this out and I will not stop until I figure this out I did everything and finally made it know that that's how you do it and then kind of worked at it and it's it took me a couple months after that to perfect the craft and perfect my dyeing process because when I was getting them, I was getting colors, but they were really matte or just not vibrant. They were just really dull and then trying to work on the vibraticity of it and working on that. So yeah, it's taken me a while. And some of the colors are now like now that's been two years ago. And some of the colors now that I'm making today are new. So I'm still making new colors and still like greens are were really hard at the beginning. Now I'm starting to get some really good greens and it's taken me two years to get good greens. So are you customizing your dyes then? Yes. And then when clients sent me their color samples or things like that, I match it. So I spent a couple hours working on that dye to make it so I match it with the client's colors. So with the Boston project that I'm working on, it's a specific color. So I'll have to make that dye specifically to that company. And do you use any commercial dyes now or do you, are you fabricating everything yourself? So both. Yeah. So I have to fabricate my dye, but I also use commercial dye as well to help because they don't dye plastic. Commercial dye just don't dye plastic. They gotcha. dye other things. So I have to use theirs, but with other things to make it work for my... They dyed a lot of clothes. <laughs> yes. They, yeah. This so. is the story goes. That's so, amazing. How many colors do you think you you have? Do you even <laughs> have you a look number? In my studio, I have probably like 10, 15 greens that are available right now. And then there are probably 20 blues, shades of blues and reds. And so I have all the different, just depending on the project that I'm working on. So it just really depends. So I can have more if I wanted to, but I just kind of die as I go. As you need. Yeah. So th this piece right next to us has a very vivid kind of red-orange. Yeah. So did, it, did it take some time to get to... That color, yes. So I had to work with it. I uh, worked with that dye process. So it's an orange. It's a really vibrant orange. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, it's awesome. And so it took me a while to get that color. So I had to work at it, work at it, and then finally got it. And then, so then I can match it to the customer's needs, my client's needs. 
And you slept better once you, you got there. Yeah, I was excited. <laughs> once I get the color, I'm like, yes, finally, now I can do it. And then I can go forward with that. How can people find you? Yeah. I mean, you said that you, you spent money to do some viral videos. So, uh, like a little bit. At the beginning, I, in January, no, October. October, I started paying for marketing viral. Yeah, I knew that I needed to let the professionals help me to get my name out there and get the word out because they know more about that kind of stuff. And I knew a lot of marketing, and I believe that you have to work with professionals and that you can't just make it as an artist just by word of mouth in your local area. Just You can't make it work, right? It work so way. you need help. And so I went out to them, and then the first company that came out to me was George Sakai Presents, and it's a, he's about 10 million views, and he said, hey, we love your stuff. Can we make a video? And we won't charge you. And I said, okay. Oh, my. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so George Takai presents uh, their editor team, worked with me for about a month, and they made a beautiful video, and they launched it. And about a month, it got about 7 million views, and that was the start of the whole thing. And then after that, I just got so many people emailing me trying to get my content to share so then i just kind of space it out so you just kind of and i started with some smaller ones but then i got with george Dekai presents and then that kind of started it so now i have uh followers all over the world That's that crazy. follow me and so it's been a while journey to figure that out and talk with the people and i'm very personable i love talking with people um and so when people email me or message me I'll always respond back. And so I like I was just talking to somebody from Bulgaria wow. a couple of days ago, and I was talking to somebody from Brazil. And it's just fun because I know that they're trying to be artists, and we're kind of in the same boat. Sure. You know? And so I said, oh, how are you guys doing? And we talk about the arts, and we just talk. And so it's a good way to help uh, spread the goodness and the arts. So that's kind of my way to give back. Yeah, it's so. a beautiful thing. Seeing as we're here on the Your Creativity podcast, I'm curious what effect uh, commission work has had on your creativity in terms of things that you want to do. I mean, obviously, if somebody calls you up and says, we want to do a 18-foot by 9-foot installation that will be surely a great financial boon for you yeah. and i'm sure a challenging and fun project oh, yes. but it's going to be super high <laughs> but that's different than uh maybe the analogy of sitting down in front of a canvas with a yes uh with a grouping of oil paints and just saying what do i see in my mind's eye or what do i see out my window and i'm yeah. curious what your I'm guessing you do a lot of, of commission work now mm -hmm. because your work, I'm sure, lends itself to that. I do about two to three commissions a month. So and how many club. independent pieces that are just your uh, exploration? Right now, I've been doing a lot of client work yeah. for the last couple of months. That's all I've been doing. But before that, I was doing uh, my own stuff. So it just really depends on the stage of the business. Right now, it's focusing on clients, meet, sure. meet clients' needs. 
Um, and then I do my own thing on the side because I have to keep my creativity alive. Yeah, that's exactly Sometimes what I was Sometimes the client's request is not very creativity. It's not right. very creative. So it's kind of like, okay, I'll do it. Um, but then there's others that challenge me, like this Boston project is definitely a challenge. It's going to really stretch me. I don't know exactly how we're going to do it, <laughs> but I took it on and said, I'm going to do it. Yeah. We're going to figure it out and we're going to do it. And so I think that's just kind of how, that's how I work. I just, I'm not afraid to make mistakes and I'm yeah. not afraid to try and to fake it <laughs> because you have to fake it sometimes. And kind of, because I really, I've studied the keyboard more than really anyone. <laughs> and so it's, could be a side, it, side the person to do the job would be me. And so I, I think I'll figure it out and we'll make it work. So. But yeah, so creativity-wise, I try. I always try to do something for myself, a project Absolutely. for myself, so that I can keep that creativity. Um, I'm always drawing like ideas. I'm always playing with my keys, or I'm always, I'm always thinking about what if we burned them? What if we yeah. um, smash them? What if we do this? Well, you know, I have to think everything about it because I want to become a master keyboarder. The keyboard god. You, no, you already have are to the know, keyboard uh, god. Yes, I have to do everything in that. So I have to be able to do everything. And so I want to step on them. I want to, you know, I just want everything about them. I want to cut them. I want to Change break them. them or burn them, right? Yeah. So I want to experience everything about the keyboard so that I understand and that I can connect with it. And I've made a goal to do a million keys before... I decide to do something else or continue whatever way. I might continue, but I love it too much. And right now, I, I just passed 200,000. Wow, so you're a fifth of the way. So I'm, I'm going through them really fast. So Well, and then add the 40,000. Yeah, gonna, and then the Boston Project, 40,000. So in the next two months, I'll have about 250,000. So Mom, wow. get popping those keys. That's well, right. That, get popping those keys, Mom. I know, like she I should know. be popping but them every three minutes. <laughs> I do have about 200,000 keys in my studio right now. So and then, so I do have a lot. So I try to maintain that inventory. And plus, you have to have a lot of keys for all the different colors. Sure. So. Sure. I noticed that most uh, of the things that we're seeing in your studio here or all of the things that I can see uh, just around are two-dimensional. Have you explored it all into using keys on a three-dimensional surface obviously it's a different fabrication process but yes yes i so what's funny is i've been a sculptor my whole life so oh. i'm not a 2d artist ah, so this it. has been a challenge to me. that's why i took it on me i'm like i'm not a 2d artist and so it's been a very good challenge for me to learn because when i uh, in high school, middle school, high school, I did pottery. So I was a wheel thrower and a mm -hmm. sculpture. So I did that for years and I was really dedicated to it. I got a scholarship with it, got a full ride scholarship, mm -hmm. and I won some wars, uh, prestigious Utah wars, and got scholarships with it. So I did pottery for about 10 years, a lot of sculpture work, tons of it. So I was really into the sculpting. Yeah. And I thought it would be a sculpture artist basically when i was sure. in college i did a lot of sculpture classes mm -hmm. and but this is a very sculptural yes it's very sculpture a lot of sculpture stuff but with a 2d 
feel to it. Sure. But I have been experimenting, playing, trying yeah. to figure out how to do 3D. Yeah, I really want to figure out how to do 3D like so bad. But yeah, I want that sculpture part. So I have been working on that. That will probably come out in the next year or two. So that's kind of in the play. Because you, as an artist, you always have to have what's the next thing, yeah, right? So, it's exactly, so that's going to be the next scene, right? Exactly where I was going to. Yeah. Like, <laughs> see having... So I'm a bus- I, I, I realize I'm kind of a business-minded person. You have to be business-minded when you're yeah. doing your art, the creativity. Sure. Because that's what's going to keep it going. So I have to think in the business perspective, well, how do I keep this engaging? So the sculpture stuff is going to come out soon. That's exciting. I can't yeah. wait to yeah, see it. Yeah, it's going to be so uh, awesome. For sure, it's going to be so awesome. I have some ideas of different things I'm working on. Um, right now, I'm actually building a museum exhibition. It's oh. called the Megabyte. And this one is so cool. So what I'm doing is, so my assistant that works for me, the pop keys, uh, when I don't have the beige keys, I just have her pop black keyboard. But black is so common. It's so inexpensive. Everybody has a black keyboard that they don't know what to do with. Yeah. So I've just been having her pop the black keyboards and we're going to try to pop a million of them. And wow. because that's how many bytes are in a megabyte, it's yes. a million bytes. So it's actually, it's a thousand twenty four times a thousand twenty four. So it's like a million, 50, 20 or something like that. I don't remember exactly the number, but we're going to do a big sculpture with those. And so we're going to do a big How container fun. full of a million keys so that people can see what a megabyte looks like. Because I don't think we realize how much a megabyte is. And we're using them every day for pictures, like a picture is a megabyte, but it's so much information. It's a million bytes, right? And I've started doing a series of portraits of famous people in a kilobyte, which is a thousand keys. So I started doing that. So I'm going to do those to represent the the kilobyte, and then I'm doing the megabyte, and then someday maybe I'll do the gigabyte, which is one billion. I was going to say terabyte. Here comes Eric, everybody. That's a lot, right? So that's a trillion. (laughs) But it's just so I'm always trying to come up with different ways to educate people with the keyboard and to inspire people. Yeah. I'm really interested in that term pixelation. So, so yeah, that's what I'm doing with that. So some of your pieces are recreations of of masterpieces from the past. Mm -hmm. Are there particular artists that inspire you? So I started doing the master series. So I did some of these masters, so like the Sorry Night, the Girl and the Pearl, the Great Wave, some of these famous paintings. That was part of a series that I've been working on. I'm still working on that series. So it's a very small series. I have about five of them so far, and I'm probably going to do about 20 of them or more. And I did an exhibition with them, so they were in an exhibition. And part of that exhibition with those masters is I was trying to play on that word pixelations, that word, and I realized that people with the masters, we tend to like the pixelation better than the masters themselves, right? So because the sorry night, not everybody's seen it, but we see a picture of the sorry night, we recognize that pixelation, not the master. Like when we see a picture, it's a pixelation. It's not the original. 
And so we can see it on the internet and be like, oh, that's a Saturday night. But we are seeing the pixelation of it, not the original. And we recognize those pixelations. So I was playing with that idea okay. of how people are obsessed with the pixelation of famous, iconic things in the world. So that was, it was part of an exhibition. Did that okay. answer your question? Yeah. yeah. And it occurs to me that uh, Van Gogh, it's maybe kind of a really cool it was example fun. of a wildly different medium. But, I mean, his his eye was kind of pixelated in yes, a way. Yes, he did a lot that, of impressionism, so yeah. it worked out beautiful. And the, so my great. Van Gogh one is amazing. So that one's made from 4,800 keys, which is about... 4,800 keys, which is about 60, 65 keyboards. Yeah, so it's like five feet long. And I put all about the artist in there. So I put his birthday quotes about him, uh -huh. um, the way he signed his artwork, and all of that kind of stuff. So it's everything about him in the artwork. So that's a fun way to get people engaged. And it's a fun way to teach. I'm a teacher, so that teaching mm -hmm. side of me comes out. And so I try to make sure I'm teaching my students, you know, this is the Van Gogh, you know that, sure, right? Sure, sure. And so I realized, well, I'm going to put it in so that they, when they find it, they remember it better. And that's kind of where I've realized that people, I put quotes and words in mm. all of my artwork. And it's been so fun to as I travel, people read the quotes and stuff in them. And they're like, oh, that's such an inspiring quote. And they actually remember it better because they have to look for it and read it out and they remember it. And so it's been a really fun way to engage in people in that way, in that sense that they have to come up close. It makes it, I want people to come up close and see the textual work of it and the texture and the words and the history, but then I also want them to step back and look at it far away. So that's my way to get them to come up close. But it's hard to not get them to touch it, right? <laughs> Until we get the tasers. Yeah, you can do that. Just electrocute the frame. <laughs> That's right. Don't touch. Um, process. Oh, uh, your commissions. You know they're coming in from everywhere. Are how abstract have they been? Like, what, say that again. The the commissions that come in. Have there been any that kind of been off the wall? Some, <laughs> some I'm like, oh, I don't know exactly. What, what kind of ones have you had to turn down is basically what I'm saying. Sometimes I turn them down just timelines or budget or um, I'm not exactly sure how to meet the needs of the customer or the client. So, but for the most part, we can just kind of talk it through and figure it out. And then I usually, and I, I just charge them a, a deposit. Uh, that's not refundable, which is a partial deposit. And I don't glue it in. So I lay out the whole artwork before I glue it in and talk with them. And we change it. We talk about it, make sure it's perfect for them. And then we glue it. So I, I usually go to that point with the customer or the client before I glue it in. Because once I glue it in, that's the most is part of the work gluing them in make it work build a frame and all that stuff shipping it and everything so i just kind of do that and even if they turn it down that's fine because i still learn from it it's yeah. so it's fun and you got that deposit to, to yeah, save to, yourself for my from, time to yeah. lay it out and everything so that's just for my time to do that and then they don't have to pay for the material just for my time that's, that's very smart but for the most part i haven't had any of my client drop a project um, I had one almost dropped it, 
and then we were the coloring that I was having a hard time. So we, I went back at it and worked at the colors a little bit more. I just couldn't, I didn't know what colors to use. It's hard because sometimes they give me colors that are online and it's hard to match colors with a light versus actual paint samples. So they're different coloring. They don't work the same. So that was the challenge I had with that one. So, okay, let's, let's work on this again. I worked on the dyes a little bit more to make it the color that they wanted and then we were able to make it work. So it worked out good. Do you set up your compositions in any sort of a software program beforehand? Yeah. Sure. Yes. So I do have a software program that I use. I have a couple of them that I use to pixelate it to help me see it. But one thing I noticed early on in my career when I was pixelating all these images is the computer is not very good at it. <laughs> ah, ironic. Uh, they ch the computer changes colors and it doesn't, yeah. um, it just doesn't work. And so I realized that, oh, wow, this is actually not correct. So I used the pixelation to help me to get the proportion right, to get the measurements right. I'm working with so many keys, so I need to know the proportionable part, right? Sure, sure. So that's kind of why I use it for, but then I change it. So I change it back. So I usually have a picture of the actual design and then the picture pixelated. So I can see what it looks actually. So I can visualize it and then I usually work it. So I usually, I feel like I'm getting better than what the com computer can be. <laughs> it's just mathematical, it's just sure. generic, right? And they're not really, it just really doesn't work. And so I use it to help me get proportion, but then I change it. So the colors are not correct with the pixelation. And sometimes just the way it did it just doesn't work. So I used to change it. It occurs to me that in creating images as opposed to creating like logos and things like that that have hard outlines, that probably the smaller the format you're working in, the more challenging because you don't have... Yes room for gradations and yeah. those kind of things. Talk about how, how your mind works when yeah. you start to envision a project. And, yeah. and so when people ask me to do logo work or things that have hard edge, I usually say I can't go less than a thousand keys or some of the logos are way too complex. I can't go lower than 2000 keys. So I'll show them an example, really blurry, really pixely. Right. And I said, this is what looks like smaller, but it just doesn't work. And I, I usually give them bigger ones that work. So I give them the, where it will work. And so I'll, because I know what I'm doing, I've done it. So I, I usually do rough drafts and mock-ups for all my clients that are requesting that. So I give them all that so they can visualize it. So I do a lot of mock-ups and stuff beforehand but then i change it to make it work better so i can make it a little bit better than what the mock-up is but i just use that to kind of help them start seeing it right yeah. so some designs like i just can't do it so i will not do it if it's just not gonna look right it's not gonna work i won't sure. do the job you yeah the, because i want it to you have look the right say no i'm sorry I, yeah I, I, sorry I, I, or I we need that for yeah. you or i don't want to do it yeah i need it needs to be level. bigger sure yeah, sure so so and I just want them to get the best that they yeah, deserve, absolutely. right? So I just I don't want to give them okay stuff, yeah. right? Yeah. So I just say no, it's not gonna work. It needs to either be bigger 
or we can drop the project. And I've lost a lot of jobs that way, but it's better that way because then they can save their money and if they want to do it down the road, they can. Because I don't want to give them okay work. I want to give sure. them perfect. The best I can give. Yeah. As much as I can give. And I want that versus an okay piece, right? Do you carve out uh, a certain amount of time for pure creativity just to work in other media to stay excited about the creative process or do you get everything that you need from from doing this work oh i get i get my creative juice from this and and i'm always if i'm starting to feel that creativity is lacking then i start to go to my idea book and my drawings and i'll start drawing but my mind does not stop even though i'm doing something that maybe the same thing every day but I'm working with a lot of new challenges and I'm always thinking of new things. And, but that's, it's hard because I'm like, I want to do all these other things. I'm like, oh, what if I do this? And uh, so I have to calm myself down because <laughs> it's like, well, I just need to focus on this and become the best at my craft. But I also like to do other things to keep me exciting and engaged. Yeah, you know? sure, so I do both. So, yeah. Like riding a unicycle? Yeah, of course. I had to mention that. He he rides a unicycle. Oh, no yeah, kidding. I'm a big unicyclist. I haven't ridden a while, so I need to repent and get back on that bike. But I am a big unicyclist, so I started riding a unicycle when I was 15 and because nobody was doing it. Right. And I, I kind of lived my life that life is too simple and too boring to be normal and to be like everybody else. And so do something different. So I was like, well, I want to learn how to run a unicycle. So I bought one and I rode it and got good at it. And then I got into college and I was like, well, I wonder if there's bigger ones. And I found the biggest <laughs> unicycle you can find, a 36-inch tire. And the Whoa. tire comes up to my hip. I'm six feet tall. Yeah. So it's huge. And I was like, this is cool. I'm going to buy it. So I started learning how to ride that. And I've done a lot. I started riding it from Salt Lake City to Provo. Um, wow. It's, uh, it's about uh, 50 miles. I just ride to go back home for college and stuff like that. So yeah, I lived here in Salt Lake and I was going to school in Provo. Okay. So I, I my my unicycle back and forth. You totally are nuts. You are crazy. Uh, a little. You're, you're yeah. Totally crazy. Yeah, yeah. I I call myself a crazy dreamer, but ah. <laughs> so I and then I decided, I know this is kind of a cool talent, but what can I do with it? And I tried to make my talent practical. I'm like, well, this is a cool skill that I have, but it's not helping anyone. It's just benefiting me, but what can I do to help others? So I started a a, a journey per se, it's called the one wheel man thing. And so I started writing. So I rode from Provo to Canada in two weeks and it was oh uh, 700 gosh. miles. And I rode the whole way up to the border of Canada uh, like two years ago to start a foundation that I'm trying to work on. And I'm trying to, because I had scholarships through school, I didn't have to pay for schooling and I'm trying to give back. And deaf people have a hard time getting schooling because they can't get funding for college, right? And so they're underprivileged. So I'm starting uh, a thing to ride a unicycle. So I've been working on it for a while. And it's an art project in a sense. It's a project I've been working on. It's going to come out later. 
and I'm gonna ride my unicycle from Canada to Maryland. It's gonna take two months, 3,000 miles. I'm gonna do that to fundraise money for deaf students. So, and it's just a fun way that to- That is amazing. Yeah, so I'm gonna do that. I, I've been working on that on the side as well. So, I, you know, you, life is, there's so many things that we wanna do, and you just have to find your balance and find what's important at the moment. And the unicycling is important, but I kind of put it on the back burner for now, and I will get to it eventually, I think, and we'll do that trip. So, yeah. That's cool. So speaking of crazy characters, we have some bonus questions. Who's your favorite Muppet and why? Oh, that's a hard question. <laughs> uh, I would say Muppet. So this counts Sesame Street. Dark Crystal, Labyrinth, you know, any Jim Henson created creature. Eric, I am with you on this one. I don't know if I had a favorite. It took me a while. Yeah, what did, do, I, do you remember what I said, Dylan? I, I don't. Maybe Kermit? I, I know I'm, I'm Gonzo. My, mine's Gonzo. I, I, I don't remember. <laughs> Gonzo actually is pretty cool. Gonzo's totally cool. Gonzo's the drummer, right? No, animals the drummer. animals the drummer. See, I don't even know my characters. Uh, Gonzo's the one with the nose. Maybe I'm and Big gotcha. Bird, chicken. <laughs> maybe I'm yeah. Big Bird. Be I'm tall. <laughs> no, Big Bird probably rides a unicycle. I bet Big Bird could do that. Uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah. Her Big Bird's legs are big. They're good for unicycling, right? <laughs> big Bird could totally do that. Yeah. Let's go with Big Bird. Okay, and then in the story of your in the movie of your life, who would you want to play you? <gasps> I was trying to figure that out. Ooh. I've been thinking of all the characters. I'm like, who is going to do me? This is a hard, hard. Because their characters are cool and everything, but they're not crazy. They're not weird. No, just kidding. <laughs> they're weird in their own ways. But I haven't. What do you guys think I would be the qu- character to portray me? I have an idea for who? that. Andy Samberg, Andy who Samberg. I really like a lot, and I one of the things that I've always enjoyed about Andy Samberg is that his comedy has a gentleness to it. It's not unkind, and I think that he could capture the gentleness of okay. your spirit very well. Andy I Samberg, like we'll do that. get him on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> Like, yeah, he's like probably that. already contacted him. Yeah, right. Andy's probably working. He's calling in now. Yeah, <laughs> you're hired. <laughs> Is there anything that uh, we haven't shared that you want people to know? Oh, let's see. Don't give up. <laughs> Keep doing it. Make mistakes and be okay with Don't it. Don't give up. Because if you if you're afraid of making mistakes and if you're afraid of what other people think. You're not going to go far. And I've had a lot of people tell me that I'm crazy and my art is stupid. And I've had a lot of people trash me on the internet. And so I just don't take it personal. And I know that they're just, they don't understand what I'm trying to do. And and that's just how you have to move. And rejection is a good thing. That it helps you grow. And also just not giving up. I could have given up so many times on my journey with the computer key art, with unicycling, with going to Canada, all those things. I could have given up so many times. 
And there's been so many times in my life that I could have given up. And I've just learned at a young age that I can't, that you cannot afford to give up and that you have to go through those rejections. Being born deaf, I'm born deaf, and I had to learn how to speak, and it was hard, and learn how to hear, and I struggle with speech. I didn't speak my full sentence until I was five. Wow. And wow. so I struggled with that, and English was not easy for me. And when I went to college, I actually was rejected from my um, the teaching program. They would not let me in the program because my English was not good enough. It's ridiculous, actually. But because I had an old test score that was probably four years old, and they were basing it off of that test score that I took previous, and they said, well, your test score four years ago was too low, so we can't let you in the program. So I fought them. I fought the dean. I wrote letters, and I did not give up, and I worked with them for months, and they finally approved me, let me in, and I actually got A's in all the the whole program, the two-year teaching program. I got awesome. A's in every one of those classes, and I loved it, and I did well there. But I had that rejection. I had that wall that was put up on front of me. And so I think you just kind of have to just go with it. And I just, like my motto, oh, you have something you want to say? No, no, go okay. ahead, go ahead. That life is too short yeah. to be normal and just to try to be like everybody else because... You have to be different. You have to try things yeah. and just go with your gut. And You created an entirely new medium. Yeah. It was hard. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't recommend no, you know, it. And that's kind of how I live in my life is trying to be different. And because that's how you can make a difference in the world. If you're just trying to be like everybody else, you're not going to make a difference as much. So well said. If, if you're trying to do something, you're passionate Keep it and do it and become the best what you're passionate at. And that's how you can make a difference. So. That's amazing. It's beautifully said. So we're on the internet. Where can everybody find you? So on the internet, it's Eric Jensen Art with a K. E-R-I-K-J-E-N-S-E-N Art. And I have an Instagram, Facebook, website, and they're all Eric Jensen Art. And you can also search on Google the keyboard artist or Eric Jensen. And I come up in there because that's kind of my nickname is a computer key artist so yeah so re feel free to reach me if you have questions or anything feel free i'm more than happy to talk when we can work together great awesome thank well, you thanks thank you, thanks for having so us. Coming by. you. it's been great to talk with you your have a good time your spirit is beautiful oh thanks you're so kind it's true and, and you have an outro that you like to say when you made videos and stuff like that but I, I love you to death or something like that. Yeah. I love you to death or I love your guts, right? I love your guts. That's I love sign your guts. language. <laughs> so I do sign language. And so in sign, the the pinky is the I, and then your first finger is the uh, L, and then your thumb, and that's the I love you. And if you rub it on your tummy, that makes love your guts. And so I do that in my videos. <laughs> I say I love your guts. Right. So, so I love your guts. 